My guest today is Adrian Mayer, a research scholar in classics and the history of science at Stanford University. She's here today to discuss her latest book, Gods and Robots, Myths, Machines, and the Ancient Dreams of Technology. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, I want to start by reading just a few sentences from the book as a kind of a stage setter. The mix of exuberance and anxiety aroused by a blurring of the lines between nature and machines might seem a uniquely modern response to the juggernaut of scientific progress in the age of technology. But the hope and trepidation surrounding the idea of artificial life surfaced thousands of years ago in the ancient Greek world. Imaginative myths expressed and struggled with the awe, dread, and hope summoned by the creation of animated statues, attempts to surpass human limits, and the pursuit of immortality. This is a discussion, one might say, that the ancient Greeks began. So my first question is, how did this discussion begin? I understand how stories about thunder gods or sun gods or sea gods might begin. It seems very, uh, very obvious. You know, they're sort of keying off nature. But myths about robots, where did that come from? That's a, a really good question. Of course, we just all we can do is speculate uh, according to the stories that we that have actually survived for two thousand seven hundred years since the time of Homer. Um, for my book, I did ask who first imagined robots and automatons and human enhancements and even uh, ancient versions of AI. And I know that historians of science trace the first working automatons to the Middle Ages, but I wondered if it was possible that the concepts about self-driving devices and automatons and other kinds of artificial life, could people imagine that long before the technology made them possible? And I did find that as early as the time of Homer, now we're, we're talking about Homer and Hesiod, they were writing down oral traditions that existed before they began writing, and they began writing in, oh, between about 750 and 650 BC. So we're talking about more than 2,700 years ago and the ancient Greek myths were already envisioning how would you maybe imitate, augment, and, and even surpass nature through something that the Greeks might call biotechne, life through craft. And I think those myths about automatons and animated devices, they allowed people in ancient times to sort of let their imagination soar um, by describing sort of marvels that the god of invention, mm. Hephaestus, or the, the craftsman Daedalus, the guy who made the, fl the wings uh, for himself and his, and his son, they would, they would um, let their imaginations picture how these gods could use the same familiar materials and tools and implements that an ordinary blacksmith or artisan would be using on earth in that time, but with astounding results because they're gods. So it just allowed people to, to ponder how, how would one be able to fabricate artificial life, an Android or self-moving device, or even machines, if only you possess the divine powers and ingenuity of gods who, that, that could make wonders. Hmm. So I think, I think these stories were uh, perpetuated because they, they had such complexity and long-lasting relevance. Now, I, we certainly want to talk about a few of those stories, but sort of just to take a quick step back, at heart, were the ancient Greeks techno-optimists or techno-pessimists? You know, I, I, do, um, I do think they were um, probably more pessimistic than, uh, 
than we might expect. Uh, we might imagine that they were thinking that all of these robotic beings and automatons and androids and self-moving devices uh, were sort of um, optimistic visions of the future. Um, actually, the, the Greeks tended to be looking backwards at high technology, imagining that that um, gods and people in antiquity might have had um, skills that surpassed what people could do today. So they were, they were uh, I think, looking back and also um, thinking about trepidation and doubts about automatons if they were to interact with humans on Earth. I mean, when you think of the myths that are in Homer about the god of invention, Hephaestus, mm -hmm. making self-moving devices for the use of the gods up in the, up in the heavens, he made self-opening uh, automatic um, gates for, for heaven uh, for when the gods came and went from, uh, from the celestial um, realm. He made uh, a set of automatic bellows for his own forge. He made driverless carts or tables that, would, uh, that were on wheels that would deliver ambrosia and nectar to the gods at their feasts uh, and then return when they were empty. These are all really benign and charming uh, devices uh, for the use of the gods. But when uh, the tyrannical god Zeus, um, vengeful, he wants to punish humans for accepting the gift of fire, uh, divine uh, technology that uh, Prometheus gave to humans, when he sends down uh, Pandora, for instance, who is an artificial woman with a mission on earth, um, she's not the innocent young woman that we think of in, uh, in the fairy tale versions. The original Greek myth. She was a kind of fembot. Oh, it, 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 so you you've wonderfully segued into my next question, uh, which is indeed about Pandora, which is you know the the one myth which is already uh, even before your fantastic must purchase book, even before that book, the one myth you would hear about when when discussions about emerging technology, whether it's yes. AI or genetics, was Pan, is Pandora's box or, or, or jar originally, I guess. Yes. Um, so people would talk about that. And, and, and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the lesson is, you know, you know, be careful what you wish for. And, uh, you know, you know, if you open this, you don't know what's going to come out. Be careful before you open that box. Now you spend an entire chapter on that story. <laughs> and as you yes. were saying, there's more to it than just the easy lesson. So what, Tell me a bit more about that story, what, it what that story is really about, and maybe a little bit about what that says uh, about how the ancient Greeks thought about technology. Right. That's a, that's, it's a perfect example and even more relevant than uh, I think most people realize because, as I say, most people are thinking of the Pandora from European fairy tales. She was like a, a tragically curious young woman uh, who opens this sealed jar or, um, uh, or box and inadvertently releases eternal misery on, on mankind. But um, the story is actually much more nefarious and, and far more uh, relevant to debates today about AI and machine learning than, than most people realize. Uh, uh, she was, um, the, her story was first told in the time of Homer and in the original telling of the story, Pandora is not some innocent girl who's, uh, uh, gives in to the temptation to open this forbidden jar or box. Um, instead, she was described as made, not born. And that, uh, that distinction, made, not born, that, that shows that she was manufactured by the god Hephaestus. Uh, she was commissioned by Zeus 
according to his designs. And Zeus said, I want uh, you to build me an artificial woman uh, who will um, be evil hidden in beauty, or evil disguised as beauty. This is an artificial uh, being. The, the, the fembot that you right. uh, referred to earlier. <laughs> she really is, and she has... Her purpose is to entrap mortals uh, into accepting her into uh, into their society as as a real woman, uh, and she has one mission. Once she has insinuated herself into human society, her one mission is to open that jar. She, uh, curiosity is never mentioned. She has a mission to open the jar and and release everything that's in the jar, and it's filled with. Human, uh, with misfortune and suffering and death and disease, all the misfortunes that plague humankind forever. So um, Pandora's box is, is really even more dangerous than, uh, than people realize. It's a black box, of course, um, and that's uh, how many people see uh, AI technology evolving toward um, we, won't, we, won't, uh, we won't know the decisions that uh, AI is going to be making with its vast databases, those will be obscure not only to the users, but to the makers of, uh, of AI. So I think Pandora's story is, is quite relevant. And of course, you th- everyone says, well, yes, but what about the last entity that was in that box? Right, hope. It was hope. Uh, and we think of all the old illustrations that we have from our fairy tale books show hope as a kind of fairy surrounded by light who's bringing comfort to human beings because yes. because of what's what's been released from the box but for the ancient greeks hope was the most uh, that was the most devastating thing in the bottom of the box hope was not something good for the ancient greeks hope is something that deprives you of the ability to look forward to have foresight so hope was personified as a as a young woman with a kind of crooked mocking smile on her face <laughs> now, the, I, I was wondering do you are you concerned that that's that that's a really powerful myth and to to the extent that people know a lot about greek myths that maybe they've heard of that one it's a very easy one to sort of apply i'm i'm wondering i wonder if it's too influential of a myth and and, and, <laughs> and generates too much pessimism about technology well you know um i i tried to um i was very interested in the, uh many uh thinkers about ai today talk about the fear that technology is going to favor tyranny or that um tyrannical leaders will uh, be the ones using AI and robotics. And I think it is important to look at who who is pushing for this kind of thing. So I actually wondered how, how ancient are those roots, the fear that technology would be favored by, by tyrants. And it, it goes all the way back to the myth because uh, Zeus is depicted as a vengeful, uh, harsh uh, tyrant and I wondered, uh, was that true in antiquity, uh, real time too, in historical times? And in fact, I, I did, I wrote an article for Hist- History Today uh, about real tyrants in ancient times who commissioned machines of malice and uh, self-moving devices and automatons in order to torture people and uh, kill. And of course, all of the catapult uh, innovations right machines as well. And so tyrants were um, very interested in in commissioning uh, such things even in antiquity. So it, I think it's a real 
It's a real fear that we need to take on board. I did find one wonderful story um, about uh, beneficial AI and robotics and machines from Homer. And I'll, I'll tell you that story because it's, it's optimistic and we need to. Yes, we need to yes, optimistic thank you. Story. Um, so this myth appears in Homer's Odyssey. And Odysseus, he's yearning to reach his homeland, his, his home island, after the Trojan War. He's been, the Trojan War took 10 years. He's now been wandering for 10 more years trying to get back. And he visits the mysteriously advanced society of the Phaeacians, ruled by King Alcanus. And this king has a fleet of unsinkable ships that do not need uh, pilots or navigators or rowers. They don't have any rudders. They have no oars. They're steered, says Homer, by thought alone. And King Alcanus tells Odysseus, well, all you have to do is tell the ship the name of the city, and it will devise the route and transport you to your home island of Ithaca. Um, he says that they're unsinkable. They can uh, um, travel the oceans in any kind of weather, and uh, they will not be affected by the currents or the... Or the um, bad climate, uh, and they will return to him the next day. So, I mean, you think of this, this is the, the ancient Greeks are imagining ships with a, some sort of vast archive of virtual maps and navigation charts of the entire known ancient world. And Odysseus marvels in the Odyssey at the steady, swift um, uh, progress of this ship that is carrying him across the Mediterranean to his home island of Ithaca, and here we have some technology that's interacting with supposedly humans on Earth, and it's all for the good. There's nothing bad in that story at all. Homer gets home, the ship returns to uh, the king, and we have an ancient version of GPS and automatic navigation systems. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I will not tell the, all the like two or three Uber jokes uh, that have popped into my head about surge pricing. I'll spare everyone that. Now, but you now mentioned Pandora, but you actually opened the book with a story about the very first robot, um, a story which um, I, I think I was, I mean, I, I consider myself a Greek myth person. Uh, either I had forgotten this, but it's the first robot, uh, Talos. Uh, okay, tell us a little bit about that robot. That's really one of my favorite uh, examples. It's the uh, mythic automaton. His name is called Talos. Um, he's a giant bronze man. He's made by the god Hephaestus um, to defend King Minos's kingdom of Crete. Uh, and uh, once again, he is uh, he's commissioned by a tyrannical autocratic king of the gods, Zeus, uh, for King Minos, who is also a tyrant of Crete. And this is a very ancient story. It goes back to about 750 BC. And Talos was described as made, not born, just like just like Pandora. And that's and again, that's sort of the key distinction we're we're we're, look, we're looking at. There's all sorts of you know wild creatures uh, throughout mythology, but yeah. but the distinction is these were ones which were this these are these are maker projects. These were man these were fabricated in some fashion. Absolutely. They're not just something, some inert matter that's brought to life by magic, by a magical spell, or by God's command. Uh, we, we imagine uh, Hephaestus actually building this, uh, this giant uh, bronze man, and it's a self-moving metal android made of bronze. Um, he, he supposedly marched around the island of Crete three times a day. Some people have said, well, that means he went 500 miles an hour. 
Well, we're talking about ancient science fictions here. Um, and he was programmed to recognize uh, approaching strange ships. And when he, when he spotted a ship approaching the coast, he would pick up boulders and throw these at the invaders. But then if they did manage to get ashore in close combat, this bronze robot could heat his metal body red hot and then crush the enemies to his chest to roast them alive. And this, um, his, his full story is in the, the epic poem about Jason and the Argonauts. Right. And Jason and the Argonauts encountered Talos on their um, return from the quest for the Golden Fleece. And it was the, the witch Medea, I call her a kind of techno wizard, Medea. Um, she figured out how to neutralize and destroy uh, this giant bronze robot. And she used both persuasion and technology. So we know that Talos was, he fits the definition of a robot, actually, because we know his inner workings. That's super interesting, really, because it's, because it's, we have sort of the schematics. I know, we do. It's, it's astounding that they thought about his inner workings, and they, uh, they said that he had a, a single artery or tube. They use, actually, a biological term for artery or vein, and what pulses in that is uh, his power source. His power source is ichor, which is the life fluid of the gods. It's what makes the, they don't have blood. They have ichor flowing in their veins. And this is what makes them immortal. So Medea thinks, well, he may have ichor flowing in him or pulsating in him, but the whole system is sealed by a bronze bolt on his ankle. So Medea figures out, if I can get him to let me remove that bolt, all of the ichor will flow out and he will die. So the, the myth is really complex because it, it tells us that he's imagined as a kind of cyborg. He's got humanoid features. He's able to be persuaded by Medea. She says, I'll make you invulnerable, but you have to let me remove the bolt. And he agrees to that. And this is not what the maker or the person who deployed this uh, bronze automaton had expected. They didn't expect him to develop his own uh, desires and make decisions on his well, own. Well, that's what I was going to add. To what degree, I mean, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of show, I mean, a lot of times when modern science fiction deals with robots, it comes down to, you know, are these self-aware sentient creatures? How did, you know, are they, do they become human? I mean, whether it's in, you know, Blade Runner or Commander Data in Star Trek or the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, is that is that is that a so that is that a question the Greeks thought about that? The, okay, we've dreamt I've, we've dreamt up these uh, we've dreamt up the, the these creatures, um, but do they do they do they think? Do they do they I feel or they or they or or are they really just something they're a tool to, that performs a task? And and Talos was supposed to pr perform a task perpet uh, perpetual uh, task uh, to of, um, of protecting the island of Crete. They did not expect or plan for him to develop the sort of human desire to be immortal and invulnerable. And yet Medea, um, she gambles that he has developed that human uh, desire and that is his downfall. So what's interesting is that not only is he half human, half machine, uh, the way we imagine cyborgs, and I do refer to a lot of different movies uh, because I think uh, modern movies and Ancient myths are kind of, they're cultural dreams, they're science fictions. Um, 
And so the other message there is that he was built by technology, but he's taken down by someone who could hack his technology. So right. there's always going to be a Medea who can figure out the vulnerabilities. Um, uh, the issue of sort of human enhancement, um, you know, we, did the Greeks, the Greeks think about that? Did they think it was a, did they think that was a good thing about people wanting to become, become like the gods and using technology to somehow at least get part of the way there? Was that, was that, was that a, did that, is that a theme that ran through some of these stories? Yes, I have a whole chapter on human enhancements, either trying to bother, uh, to borrow the powers of the gods or the or the uh, wonderful powers of various animals and birds. So the the story of of Daedalus and Icarus, his son, um, Daedalus is imprisoned uh, in the uh, in the labyrinth that he built for the uh, for the Minotaur for King Minos. Uh, King Minos imprisons Daedalus and his son in in the labyrinth, and Daedalus figures out that if only I could fly like a bird, we could escape. And he actually manufactures imitation bird wings for himself and for his son, and they fly away from the island of Crete. And he actually, it's what's interesting is that this is a, a story of technology once again, a human enhancement. They they can now fly. But he warns, uh, he warns of the um, the shortcomings, the potential shortcomings of the technology. Don't fly too high and don't fly too low. When I, you want to maintain a moderate flight pattern here. And Icarus, of course, is a young man. He's enchanted by the by the sensation of flying. He flies much too high, and the sun melts the wax that's holding the feathers together, and he plunges into the ocean. And Daedalus has to stop and mourn his son's death and bury him. But then he actually puts on the wings and flies all the way to Sicily. So you so might. The, so the message there isn't isn't <laughs> don't don't do it. No, um, don't try to become like the gods. It's to no. it's to do it, but do it in a, do it in a thoughtful manner and keeping Absolutely. balance and all that. Right. And don't don't uh, don't try to um, surpass the the specifications of the technology. Read, read the uh, manual. Read the manual. Right, exactly, because uh, the wings were successful, um, but at a very high cost. Um, I often think about how uh, science fiction stories seem to inspire uh, actual invention. You know, one case is the you know the Star Trek communicators, and then they may have these the design of which may have inspired you know the early sort of flip phone cell phones. Did we see any of that in ancient Greece where either things the Greeks tried to build inspired stories or did this or did the work the other way around? Did, did, did myths inspire actual attempts to create uh, devices uh, by the ancient Greeks? I think that um, I think there is some evidence that that uh, real artisans and craftsmen and engineers, especially in what you might call the Silicon Valley of antiquity, the, the city of Alexandria in Egypt, um, after the time of uh, Alexander, so we're talking about the fourth century BC up through about the first century AD. That city was just a um, it was a center of inventions uh, that included self-moving devices and robots and automatons. Some of them quite large, and some of them uh, miniaturized. So um, I found that many of the real inventions from that time period did actually feature mythological uh, characters and situations. So I think that the 
I think that the myths actually did inspire real real technicians and engineers to build real uh, self-moving devices and automatons. Um, if uh, you mentioned Alexandria, sort of the, the Silicon Valley of the of the time, given how much the Greeks you know, focused on sort of you know hubris, you know arrogance gone wild and the cautionary <laughs> tales, what would the Greeks have thought about Silicon Valley today? I mean, you're, you're, you 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 work at Stanford University. What would they have made of of the uh, of, of of the modern sort of technologists and I, you know, founders I, think, and- I think they would have um, thought back to the myth of Pandora. Um, and I mentioned Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus was the, um, the guy who brought the gift of fire, actually uh, the God's technology of fire to the vulnerable humans. He, he was really worried about humanity and their survival. And I, I mentioned that Pandora was brought down to earth uh, to insinuate herself into human society. She was given as a bride to Prometheus's brother, Epimetheus. And I think the Greeks would, uh, they, they had, they could have they had a sense of humor about these myths. I mean, the name Prometheus means foresight. And the, the name of his brother, Epimetheus, it means hindsight, the, the inability to look forward. And I think that the ancient Greeks today, if they traveled to Silicon Valley, would say, be a Promethean, look forward, don't be Epimetheus, because Prometheus tried to warn his brother, don't accept this gift. You don't know, you, you don't know uh, who is sending it. It's Zeus sending it. Don't trust a gift from, uh, from Zeus, and who knows what's in that jar she's got. Epimetheus went for the short-term gains. He didn't look ahead. And uh, so, uh, I, I, think, did, I think they would say, be Promethean, don't be Epimetheus. <laughs> did the... Did the sort of the mythological treatment of Hephaestus, which is a god you write about frequently, the god of fire and invention and tech and technology, did the did the uh, treatment, uh, the stories about him, did those did those did those you know sort of change over time? Was he treated differently if the sort of the earlier stories about uh, him were different than the later later ones? Maybe maybe they weren't. I was just, just sort of popped um, in my head. I, it, what's interesting to me is that um, Hephaestus. He, he's uh, he's a god who he's the only god who has a job. <laughs> he's the he's the only god who actually sweats while he's working. He's he's always pictured as at, at work, um, and he does follow the orders of the of the the king of the gods, Zeus, uh, who who commissions Pandora and Talos. Um, but uh, Zeus also wanted to punish. Prometheus for stealing fire. And we all know the story. He chained Prometheus to a, a mountaintop. And then he asked Hephaestus, he ordered Hephaestus to, to forge a, an eagle, a giant eagle. And we think of that, you could think of that eagle as a kind of drone. It was yeah. supposed to come every day at the same time and peck out the liver of Prometheus. And they knew that livers grew back. And so they, uh, in the myth, his liver grew back overnight. And then the the drone-like eagle comes um, every day to do it again. Well, we hear in the myth that Hephaestus had sympathy for Prometheus and he did not want to build this eagle. He protested. He, um, He didn't disobey Zeus, but he registered his protest. He said, I'm building this against my will. So I, I thought that was really uh, quite interesting uh, that finally Hephaestus sort of rebels against the tyrannical god who is devising or specifying and commis- commissioning um, these machines of malice. Um, 
so if we sort of look overall at the lessons um, that these that these myths that the ancient myths tell, um, are they are are they saying something different than than today's modern myths? Whether they're show whether it's you know movies about Blade Runner, Terminator, or Ex Machina, are they saying you know are they saying hitting much the same themes, or is there a very different perspective uh, about how humans and technology interact? Well, uh, I think that these myths were, were good to think with in antiquity. I, we know that uh, philosophers like Plato and uh, Aristotle referred to these myths when they uh, wanted to um, talk about things in, in real life. Um, for instance, Aristotle, when he's writing about, uh, he's justifying slavery. The ancient, ancient Greeks and Athenians, uh, of course, had a lot of slaves. And Aristotle's trying to justify that practice. And he, he, there's a fascinating passage in which Aristotle does a sort of, goes off on a tangent into a sort of thought experiment. And he says, if only we had some of those self-moving devices and automatons like Hephaestus made for the gods, if only we had those here in Athens, if we had looms that could weave on their own, what if we had musical instruments that could play themselves or food that would cook itself? Um, we wouldn't need slavery, and so I, that they would that they would use these myths to think about you know problems within their own society. I think is interesting, and I think these ancient myths were they're, they're like our science fiction tales, in which you envision uh, marvels, um, and they're sort of they are thought experiments about how you might be able to make things um, for which the technology doesn't exist yet. Um, we're on the whereas, whereas modern science fiction, some, some of modern, modern science fiction, it seems to me, sort of explores these technologies and what they mean. And sometimes modern science fiction uh, just try, uses, you know, uses technology in the future and outer space to sort of approach human problems in a different way to illuminate human problems. Did, yes. did myths do both of those? Did Greek myths do both those things? I think, I think they did because... Um, just the idea of uh, someone, has, um, David Gunkel has just written a book called Robot Rights uh, out with, I think, MIT Press. And it's a very controversial idea. And he means it to be controversial. We need to think about um, someday, are we going to have AI and robot rights? I mean, we're making them did, more and more human. The Talos have rights? Um, he may not have had rights, but he was treated sympathetically. Uh, audiences felt sorry for him. Um, and we know that because of the uh, plays that were written about him and some of the artworks that survive depicting the death of Talos. Um, they, they depict him in an empathetic way. They, they show him uh, sort of swooning backwards. His eyes are rolling up. And one artist actually painted a teardrop flowing uh, from his eye down his bronze cheek. Uh, so it's, it's, it reminds me of the movie 2001 when Hal, the computer is dying, right. being disabled. He, that's when he seems most human. Um, mm. So they had empathy for the, for the bronze robot in antiquity. And just as we, we tend to anthropomorphize them and, I, I started thinking of the end of Blade Runner, uh, yes. <laughs> the original Blade Runner movie, you know, yeah. uh, the famous, you know, Rutger Hauer uh, speech exactly. at the end of that. Uh, if you, yeah. as we sort of wrap up here, if, if, if there were a, you know, intelligent, sentient software AI and you wanted to teach that AI about humanity, 
is there is there a is there a myth that you would for sure want to to use to to illustrate humanity uh, for the AI? What myth would well, you turn to? I would I think the the two myths that I would um, want to want to teach uh, AI would be um, the story of Talos mm -hmm. because he's uh, he's so complex, partly human and partly uh, machine, and the and the reactions of the humans around him are complex and um, fearful. Um, and then, of course, the story of Pandora as well. I think uh, just that it might, um, it might be, we might be able to teach AI why we fear them. <laughs> uh, of course, that's, uh, I have no idea whether that would work or not, but I know that some AI thinkers and experimenters are working with um, trying to teach AI about humanity by by feeding them stories and having them read our stories, and I think maybe some of the ancient myths might uh, might might be uh, valuable to include in the stories that they're teaching AI. My guest today has been Adrian Mayer. Adrian, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm.